Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So there's one thing you've probably heard me say a couple of times here recently, and I want to start off the show with some version of that here today. When you look at what Georgia is right now, reigning national champion on top of the college football world, it's hard to repeat as national champion. You won't see that happen very much in college football. It's just hard to maintain that level of excellence. And you may have an idea in your mind of a couple of areas in which maybe Georgia in 2022 is going to have a hard time matching what it was in 2021. Certainly defense comes to mind on that. We've talked about that plenty. Kirby Smart himself has addressed that. When you look at all those guys from the 2021 defense, a defense that's in the conversation of greatest of all time, and now so many of those guys are on their way to the NFL, Kirby Smart has not held back in saying that's a lot to replace. And yeah, we got some new faces and we got a lot of work to do. And you know, in some ways, you would expect the head coach to say that, and Smart's pretty much said said exactly that in the build up of the season. And those of us who were just observers to all this, we've kind of noticed the same thing: of hey, that's one of those areas in which being as good as you were a year ago, maybe that's not going to quite be so easy. Uh, think about George Pickens no longer being here. Now, Pickens spent most of last year injured, but we know how great he was when he was healthy. Him not being here and having a receiver being as dynamic as Pickens could be when he's healthy, that's not an easy thing to match there, there, there either. But this is one of those doors that can swing both ways. That while you lose players that are truly difficult to replace, there are also opportunities for Georgia to maybe be even better in the upcoming season there were they were a year ago, which would almost seem impossible to imagine or at least difficult to believe when you talk about a 2021 national championship season. But you've heard me say now for quite some time that when you look at the overall statistical profile of Georgia and how the national championship team was a little bit of an outlier in one area, I'm talking about in the running game here, offensive line, opening up holes for the running game, to me, and hopefully I've laid out my case on this pretty well in the last you know couple of weeks, but that's one of those areas which I do think the 2022 team could provide a value at. The 2022 team could actually step up in that regard and you know go out there and and actually return you know almost to the glory days of the early days of Kirby Smart when obviously the Georgia running game was best in the SEC and propelling this offense among the best in the country Georgia was kind of a top five offensive efficiency team in 2021 and it was doing so without what I would call an elite running game but in 2022 if that same level of offensive performance as led by Todd Munkin also adds a Georgia rushing attack that starts to mirror a little bit of what happened in 2017-2018 when Georgia was leading the SEC in rushing back in those seasons imagine what that could add up to imagine just how potent that could make Georgia offensively if the Munkin offense also has that really dynamic element of a very difficult to stop running game it's kind of fun to think about and Obviously, one of the things that you step, uh, you know, as you step in that direction here for the upcoming season, one of the things you do keep in mind is, is it's new faces in those lead running back roles, bigger role for Dejon Edwards, and then the tandem of Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton, two players that have been really popular with Georgia fans for quite some time. Now they get a much bigger opportunity to have a spotlight on them. James Cook, Zamir White, the two leaders, both in terms of their on-field presence and their and their locker room presence a year ago, they are now moving on. That means McIntosh, Milton step into bigger roles, Dejon Edwards going with them and all of that. And to hear Kenny McIntosh, and this is going to be a little bit of an echo of something that I talked about going back to Friday, is that if you go to the Dog Nation YouTube page and listen in on some of the 
spring practice interviews that are ongoing. It's always interesting from a kind of behind-the-scenes standpoint of who gets selected to do these interviews because George obviously handpicks those that wants to speak on behalf of the program and how some of these guys speaking, maybe not the first time they've spoken, but speaking in kind of a bigger role for the first time, it's always interesting to see who impresses there in that regard. And, man, we've heard some really good stuff. Some of it we played for you on Friday when it comes to Senator Von Prong Granger. Uh, obviously, you know, we're going to, I think, continue to get more into like the Zion Logue thing, what, what's being said about him, what Logue himself has said, kind of taking over in that interior of the Georgia defensive line. But Kenny McIntosh here too, because that's one of those running backs that is in that bigger role for the uh, upcoming season. And if it's a position group that I think could actually really – really grow from where it was in 2021 it certainly sounds like mcintosh on behalf of himself and kendall milton and dejon edwards they are ready for all of that mcintosh saying in particular he is ready to do all of that and thinks this georgia running back room could have big things in store for the upcoming season this is what uh, mcintosh said late last week we had this conversation last year before the game um, me kendall dejon you, you know we definitely run hard, as I can see, um, what you yeah. say, so, yeah. like, we know we're capable, we know we got potential, we know we, you know, it's our time now, so why not be ready? So why not be ready, he says there at the end. In fact, McIntosh says, we were already thinking about this a year ago, that, hey, it's going to be our spotlight in 2022. It's going to be our time to kind of carry on that mantle. And we know what Georgia is, right? Georgia is, I would say, justifiably known as running back university, or RBU, as we say for short. And Part of what's made Georgia running back you or RBU in, in recent years is that tandem of running backs. And now maybe McIntosh, Milton, of course, Dejon Edwards is a part of this group too. McIntosh and Milton as that tandem of Georgia running backs carrying that baton into the upcoming season. And when you think about the previous tandem of backs, James Cook, Zamir White, part of what made them special for UGA and part of what allowed them to help contribute to a national championship season was not just what they did on the field, although in so many instances what they did on the field was uh, really pretty special for UGA, but it was also with the leadership there as well, what they demonstrated about what it means to succeed at the highest level and push yourself to the highest possible level to be the very best you can be. Cook and Zamir were also very pivotal in that role there as well. And from that standpoint, interesting to also hear Kenny McIntosh last week talking about his own leadership not a coincidence that he's speaking to the media not a coincidence that he's being asked to to represent the Georgia running back room but the Georgia offense all, all the way around and challenging himself to be more vocal to not just lead by example but lead with your words and push other players to do more than maybe they currently think they are capable of McIntosh knows that's something as a player that he's going to need to be able to do so for the best of uh, to get the best out of this new group of Georgia running backs, more of McIntosh as a, le as a leader is something that he says he's ready for. This is Kenny McIntosh again. I knew this was going to come. I mean, to be honest, I've been waiting on it. So just with them going, I feel like I got a real big role. Like you said, I got a, you know, much load on my back. So I feel like I um, got to step up a little bit more, you know, be more vocal, um, you know, be much a, a bigger leader than I was, or you can see I was last year. So, you know, just taking on that role and being there to go out there with my brothers and you know just let them know I got your back and they got mine. And so obviously to hear him you know openly embrace the idea of being a leader is kind of a cool thing but the other thing I noticed about Kenny McIntosh here in both the clips that we've played for you which is that they both lead off with an idea of McIntosh having had a vision of this for quite some time 
when the question comes up of, okay, now you and Dejon Edwards and Kendall Milton have to provide production because James Cook and, and Zamir White are no longer here. McIntosh says, oh, yeah, we were talking about this a year ago. Basically, he and these other running backs who are being mentioned had this vision in their mind of what 2022 is going to look like. This is not the kind of thing that sneaks up on them or they haven't been preparing for. They've been thinking about this moment, which is kind of nice. And in the same way about McIntosh as a leader of, Oh yeah, I have I have known for a while this moment was going to come. When I'm a young guy, an underclassman, when I can hide in the shadow of a James Cook or Zamir White, I don't have to speak up. And now they're no longer here. I guess I do have to speak up. And a lot of us understand this that whatever walk of life we're in, whether it be you know our jobs or or you know some you know church or whatever else to sort of step up and be a leader, to step up and speak out, to step up and say, hey, this is the way that I think things need to be. That's just not a very easy thing for everybody to do, even if you have some deep desire in your heart that things should be different. Even if you want to lead, to sometimes step up and you know run the risk of being ignored or run the risk of being laughed at, run the risk of whatever else, that's just not an easy thing to do. So this is one of those areas where you know even if you're not a great football player, SEC caliber football player, I think you know what it's like to have that voice inside your head doubting you about whether or not you should step up and be a leader. And maybe for college football players, sometimes it works out that way. However, McIntyre says, I've known my time was coming. I didn't have to do this before because there were players who were older than me who were doing that for me, but now they're not here. Now I'm the older guy in the room, and so now I've got to step up and do that. And it's kind of cool to hear McIntosh embracing all of that. And then another running back who's also going to be in kind of that bigger, more expanded role here for the upcoming season is Kendall Milton. And Milton, much like McIntosh, has really been a fan favorite for a long time. And Maybe a lot of Georgia fans feel like they still haven't seen the best of Kendall Milton as of yet. Some of that, a lot of that due to the fact that maybe a nagging injury here and there or whatever else. But in 2022, much like the bigger role for Kenny McIntosh, the bigger role for Kendall Milton is one of those things that gets Georgia fans really pretty excited. And in the ranks of fans of Milton, I guess you can include Kenny McIntosh on that as well, because it's not just McIntosh expecting a big season from himself. He's also expecting some big things from Kendall Milton too and this is what Kenny McIntyre said about that last week. Kendall definitely ready. He you know he big, strong, physical, he always gonna run that way. Um he's definitely hungry to, you know, go out there and compete and definitely go out there and help his team win. So so he says he's definitely ready to uh compete big and strong and uh, ready to go out there and do it. So obviously all that stuff is really cool from uh Kenny McIntosh, even if it's not necessarily earth-shattering groundbreaking commentary believing in his teammates believing he's going to step up ready to be a uh, bigger leader and continue the rbu legacy of georgia but as a way of wrapping up this conversation let me give you one statistical thing to think about just for a moment that the idea of dramatic improvement from a georgia running game is maybe more possible than you might realize let's go back in time here for a moment let's go back and look at Kirby's first season in 2016. Now think about the tandem of running backs, Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle, who were always good at UGA. Chubb in 2014 as a freshman when he stepped in after uh, Todd Gurley got suspended and eventually you know injured. You know Chubb had one of the best single season performances really of all time. Uh, for, you know for non Herschel category especially in 2014 and. Uh, you know at times Sony Michelle was a very big player at Georgia in 2015 after after Nick Chubb got hurt. But in 2016, their chance to play together as a tandem, the numbers were okay, but they weren't, you know, just eye popping. Uh, Nick Chubb in 2016 rushed for 1,130 yards. Some of that was was due to a 
to a lingering injury recovery, averaging 5.04 yards per carry. Sonny Michel in 2016 uh, played in 12 games, but only had 840 yards rushing and averaged 5.53 yards per carry. So that's okay. That's pretty good. If you got a tandem of performance from, from that this year, you wouldn't necessarily complain about that. That's not bad from two backs. But look how it changed in 2017 when Georgia stepped up and led the SEC in rushing. Nick Chubb rushed for 1,345 yards uh, uh, over the course of the season, raised his average yards per carry up there as well to 6.03. And some of that was clearly that Chubb was just healthier because he had suffered an awful, awful injury in the 2015 season. But Sonny Michel can't be explained that way. Sonny Michel was not injury recovering. Sonny Michel was just a better football player. Uh, in 2017, after having only been, what, 800-something yards in 2016, rushed for 1,227 yards in 2017, averaging 7.87 yards per carry. Now, the dramatic difference, I would say, from 2017-2016 was it was a much better offensive line, which is one of the reasons why in this offseason thus far, we've discussed Georgia running game, we've discussed the offensive line along with that. And our belief that get the most out of Broderick Jones, get a Mary Smims ready to play, get Tate Ratledge back from injury uh, to go along with the pillars there, Warren McClendon on the right side, Cedric Von Prine Granger right in the middle. All of a sudden, this is a Georgia offensive line that's ready to take that next step forward too. In 2021, a national championship season for Georgia, I've said that the offensive line was good, but probably just south of maybe being great. Uh, Cedric Von Prine Granger told you last week that they want to win the Joe Moore Award. They do want to be great, the best in the country here for this upcoming season. And if this Georgia offensive line does truly over the course of this spring and into the summer and then to start the season, take that stride towards being as good as SVP says they can be. I think the Georgia rushing attack is lifted because of that and the kind of dramatic transformation and performance we saw from 2016 to 2017 where Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle grew into which you could largely say maybe the greatest tandem of running backs in in history based on their overall statistical performances for their career maybe a, a similar level of growth could be in store for this Georgia rushing attack too that maybe Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton and Dejon Edwards can benefit from the growth of the Georgia offensive line and can help return this Georgia offense to its RBU roots to go along with a Todd Munkin offense that was very explosive a year ago to add that more potent ground attack to that. I don't have to tell you that could be an awful lot of fun to watch. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented by Pella, window and door of Georgia. I'm glad to have you with us, whether you join us at 945 for our first and 15 on DogNation.com or the Dog Nation app. 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Radio Noon, each and every day on App and Sports Radio 960, the ref, Monday through Friday. Always love doing that. Of course, a podcast form, the Apple Player, the Spotify, the Google Player, all the various podcast platforms including posting the show each and every day at the world famous dog nation.com just very happy to have you with us for the show big show for us coming up all of it made possible by our friends at pella window and door of georgia you know pella windows and doors you know this is a recognized brand here in the atlanta area about excellence that you know homeowners in atlanta have been trusting this for a long time all kinds of survey data let you know that those who take their home seriously protecting that investment making it 
look as good as it can on the outside, feeling as good as it can on the inside by keeping that energy where it's supposed to be inside your house. They know what Pella Window and Door of Georgia provides. And if you haven't learned that yet, it's time to explore this for yourself and find out why this is the thing that you need to add to take your home to the next level. And great savings right now give you a great chance to do that. Through April 22nd, you can get 50% off qualifying installations or you can get payments as low as $99 a month. So set up a free uh, no-pressure consultation, whether it's in person at the Pella showroom or online if you'd rather do that there as well and talk about all the installation options and the variety of choices that you have out there for you so that you can get the most out of what probably is your most important investment that's your home make it feel good on the inside keep that air conditioning in the warm weather season the heat in the cold weather season keep it where it's supposed to be and obviously keep your home looking good that curb appeal so important right now so make sure you do all that also there's a great new experience center in Duluth that's open no appointments required just stop by and uh, see them there it's a uh, Monday through Friday from 9 to 5 and then on Saturday from 10 to 4 so great new experience uh, for you to go check out in person in Duluth I like to put my hands on things and you know I like to I like to touch what I'm buying and so at the new uh, a great uh, facility there you get a chance to do that in Duluth so make sure you check out the new experience center for Pella Window and Door if you want more information on that go to this website it's PellaofGA.com slash dog nation that's PellaofGA.com slash dog nation uh, you can also give them a call that's 678-638-1496 678-638-1496 Pella window and door of georgia is viewed to be the best uh, a guy that we view to be the best is our buddy john stinchcomb great former georgia all-american and terrific voice talking about uga so we'll do some of that with john here coming up in just a moment before that though i want to go around the doghouse give you a little bit of an update on some of the stuff with uga recruiting and i want to highlight something that we talked about i think it was friday some of these days kind of run together of hey when you see the way in which trey scott the georgia defensive line coach has become really a rising star that he was you know kind of the guy that was getting all kinds of pats on the back after pro day and nfl combine because so many of his guys were doing such big things there and so many of those guys really tout scott as a huge influence on their life and what we said was hey with a new crop of assistants at georgia there is a chance for one of those guys to be the next Trey scott to be major impactful in recruiting and then have a big impact on the field there as well and to kind of go from being maybe a guy that we don't know anything about to suddenly this is the guy that you're really glad to have at UGA. That's been kind of the journey of Trey Scott. And we've been wondering, well, is there a chance that maybe one of these new Georgia assistants could go down a similar road? And I want to be careful here because I'm not certainly saying that this guy is the next Trey Scott. That's not what I'm saying. But after some of the stuff I saw this weekend, I don't even have time to show all of it to you. But after some of what I saw this weekend, you certainly get the impression that at least one of the new Georgia assistants is pretty quickly making a pretty big impact. I just want to show you one thing on Twitter here for a moment. And, you know, uh, uh, you know, King Joseph Edwards on Twitter, obviously that's a, a recruit that talks a lot about um, Georgia, you know, you know, seems to really have a lot of love for UGA. And, you know, he mentions, uh, uh, you know, Coach uh, Chidera Yuzaduribe, the new outside linebackers coach there at UGA. He says, teach me all there is to know, and I promise I will deliver he says there on that and what was interesting after this tweet some other recruits also kind of responded to this saying their own things about use Dribe there as well and I don't know it certainly seems like of the new George assistants man he has really the new outside linebackers coach has has really ingratiated himself to this recruiting culture very very quickly and recruits seem to be responding to this pretty fast and I don't know what that adds up to. Obviously, you know, he feels big shoes because of what Dan Lanning became at UGA. And to say you're going to have a Trey Scott-like impact, that's 
you know, very, very hard for anybody to do, just given the measurable success that Trey Scott has had. But I did want to follow this up just by saying, you know, we talked a lot on Friday about of these unknown young guys who makes a name for themselves. And well, right now, at least with the recruits, Yus Daribe seems to kind of be doing that. And, and so maybe you're noticing this on social media there as well. I, I certainly did. And after a busy weekend for UGA recruiting, hard not to see that. So, so keep that in mind. I thought that was kind of cool. And then there was this, uh, you know, we talked about this on Friday a lot and really a lot last week the visit that Arch Manning took to UGA. I'll invite you to go back and listen to Jeff Sintel's interview with me on Friday. Jeff had a lot of things to say about Manning. And one of the things that Jeff brought up was, and this is one of those things that I think is going to make this recruitment for some of us who like to follow this stuff as close as he can, going to be a little bit different, is that Arch Manning is not one of these guys that's just like plastering his thoughts all over social media all the time. A lot of recruits do that, and I'm always glad when they do because it gives us a little bit of a window into how their recruitment's going. In the case of Arch Manning, He's just a little bit more, I guess, private than that. He kind of marches to the beat of his own drum a little bit on that. Some recruits are not quite as plugged in to social media as others. Manning kind of seems to be that guy. But listen, people are going to still do what they're going to try to do to get updates as when they can on what happens with uh, Arch. In fact, there was this photo that got passed around on the Internet a little bit this week, uh, referencing our buddy Logan Booker, who does the morning show there on 960 The Rev. So Mayflower, obviously a very popular law. I'm talking about decades almost a century uh worth there in uh, downtown athens and uh, a guy named garrett key on twitter has what he says is photographic evidence of arch manning enjoying himself a little breakfast there at the mayflower i'm always hesitant to say i'm you know definitely sure this is arch but it certainly looks to be arch uh here in this uh picture but i can't fully confirm that's who this is but uh that's what the uh picture purports to show and it certainly would make some sense that arch would enjoy a little uh little breakfast there at the mayflower and by all indications, these visits always seem to go well. The uh, early chatter online is, I guess, this one went pretty well there, too. Manning does have the visit coming up soon to Texas. So the sense that we get is that things may have gone well from Arch, uh, for Arch in Athens. Got a chance to enjoy some of the local restaurants and all kinds of other stuff there as well. So pretty interesting recruiting weekend for UGA. A little bit of an update there on some of that. All right. So it's Dog Nation Daily presented by Palo Window and Door of Georgia. There is an interesting new twist in Georgia's rivalry with Florida. What some Florida fans have been saying, maybe they're not saying that as much anymore. I'll explain that before we're done on the program today. But before that, I want to get into, with our buddy John Stinchcomb, what we talked about before of just exactly what this Georgia offensive line might be able to do for this Georgia running game this year and how much better things could be for the ground attack. About middle of the pack or so in the SEC last season, maybe better than that this upcoming season and how the offensive line plays a role in all of that. Fun conversation to have with our buddy John Stinchcomb. Let's do that right now. It's Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella, window and door of Georgia. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. So it's uh, John Stinchcomb here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia today. And, uh, John, I want to get into, as I told the audience a moment ago, some stuff with the offensive line, the running game. Let me kind of go a little more off the radar on that before we get to that. I was just talking about Arch Manning a moment ago, and you played New Orleans with the Saints. This is maybe a little bit of a reach, but did you ever meet, get to know Archie Manning at all because of your time with the Saints? Was he much of a factor around the organization uh, at the time that that, that you were there? I did, yeah. I got to know uh, uh, really a few of the Mannings, having lived down there. And Arch was, uh, excuse me, uh, yeah, they were the, just the Mannings in general were around. Um, when I was coming out of college, 
uh, one of the All-American teams. I ended up sharing a room with Eli Manning, okay. and so got to know him pretty well. But the whole Manning family is like New Orleans royalty down there. Yeah, that's that's really cool, and you know the sense that I get, and it you know sounds like you've spent a, a good bit of time with Eli there. But while as you said, it's kind of football royalty, sort of New Orleans royalty, and you know uh, in the case of Archie, he's Ole Miss royalty there as well, one of the best pro, you know players in that program's history, the best player in that program's history. But I get the sense there's a little bit of um, a little bit of a down to earth approach to football. This is obviously you know uh, incredible riches given the money that Peyton and Eli have made, and you know. I'm sure Archie didn't, you know, for his time, didn't do bad for himself either. But when I think about the Arch Manning recruitment that's ongoing, to me, that's kind of a part of this, which is like the, the the glitz and glamour of all of this and the extra attention that we typically associate with that. The sense that I get on the outside is that's not the kind of thing this family is necessarily going to obviously gravitate towards. As we said before, Arch's not even really a very present figure on social media as a for instance knowing this family a little bit better than i do is that the sense that you would get there as well that they're going to be a little more maybe nuts and bolts about a recruitment and and maybe not quite so into some of the peripheral issues that come up so often when we're talking about big five-star recruits well perspective matters right and if, if you're from a family where football has done nothing but lavish you with riches i think that perspective is a pretty different than you might be the only uh, representative of your family to, to have an opportunity to go play at a major university and, you know, you see dollar signs that your family could have only dreamed of uh, throughout their history of, of, of your lineage. And, you know, the Manning experience is much different than the average. I think that's fair to say. So uh, their, their perspective is much different as, as a family. And I think, having seen what Peyton and Eli were, were able to accomplish on a football field, the, the resulting dollar signs from what you do based on performance is much different than someone who's recognizing there's some marketing opportunities that, that might be different. And you're focused on, you know, tens of thousands of dollars versus the opportunity to, to put yourself in a position to be the best football player and the best atmosphere uh, that could lead to long-term success, that's a much different perspective and, and probably one that Arch has been blessed with that many, many others just don't have. And you know, it, it certainly comes with being down to earth, but let's not negate the fact that they made nine-plus figures as a family uh, because of their football performance and not solely on the opportunity of, of – making money marketing off of football let me do one more thing on this topic then we'll we'll change the subject i think the thing that makes george's pursuit of arch manning interesting is you know on a show like the one that i do john we're obviously deep in the minutiae on recruiting each and every day all recruits become pretty famous to our audience just because we watch this stuff so closely but to the average college football fan the guy who's watching game day and watching the games themselves but maybe not you know, like, you know, living and dying with all the stuff that we do online here or that happens online, you know, most recruits don't become famous to that guy until they become football players. However, the Manning last name is so prominent. It cuts through the clutter and all of that. So, John, I'm kind of curious as as to someone who I, I know follows recruiting, but maybe not as obsessively maybe as I do. What do you think of a guy like Manning, the five-star 
name, but you know, let, let's face it, there's still a little bit of mystery anytime you bring on the big prospect of how well you, that guy's going to turn out. How interested are you in Georgia's pursuit of someone whose name is as famous as you can get when it comes to football, especially here in the SEC? <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I, I think you assessed it pretty accurately. I'm aware of it, but I'm certainly not the guy that's hounding every chat room and, and figuring out what the details of uh, the five-star recruits and, and their weekend experience, uh, what was that like every step of the way? I, I could not care less, I mean, sure. just to be honest with right. you. But I think it does matter. I mean, you, you have to be able to bring in top-flight talent, and Georgia has proven that they're able to and what they're able to do with it once it's on campus. And that's one of the best recruiters that you can have is past performance and really past being in, in the recent history. And you look at the number of players, you know, we talked about probably more extensively last week, the 14 that went to the uh, combine. And that's, that's one of the best recruiters you can have. And that is a major draw across the board. And to see a guy like Arch who's approaching this process much different than other five-star guys that you know have the hundred thousand plus uh, Twitter followers, and they're posting every workout and every time they put on a different jersey, and people are reading into all the details. Uh, it seems like there's a different focus uh, that he's taken uh, in what his priorities are, and doesn't see those opportunities as something that he wants to relish in the way others do. And that's you know I'm not condemning those that enjoy the the social media glam that comes along with being a five-star guy uh, but you know everybody has their own approach and it seems like his has become the minority voice uh, in a world that really does value those follows and that attention that you can get from social media yeah, I think that's exactly right. John Stinchcomb here on uh, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia today. Let me turn my attention to something else. We talked about this off the top of the program here a little bit. And that is my belief that, hey, you know, in a national championship season, you know, maybe not everything was performing an elite level for UGA a year ago. And one of the areas in which I think was good, not great, was the Georgia rushing attack. Now, listen, I think that Zamir White and James Cook individually really provide a lot for Georgia. You can go back and look at some of the things that Cook did in the, the Orange Bowls, for instance, some of the things that Zamir White did along the way. And these were very important players towards Georgia's national championship. But the Georgia offense last year was just probably a little less about running the football than it had been in the best years of um, of Kirby Smart prior to that. And obviously it's hard you know, to uncouple this from the offensive line, but the offensive line part of this I want to get to with you in a moment. But specifically when you look at you know, Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton and Dejon Edwards. And, you know, before you even get to like the influx of, you know, new players like Branson Robson, but just those three who've been here, Dejon and, and, and Kendall and Kenny, are you like me in the belief that this is an area in which Georgia actually could see a little bit of a value add this upcoming season, that the performance of this Georgia rushing attack at least has the chance to be a little bit more reminiscent of what it was in 2017, 2018. And that when you think about areas in which it's going to be hard for Georgia to replicate its national championship success, the rushing game may be one example of a place where Georgia could actually be you know, a little better than it was a year ago. That At least that's the optimistic tone I'm trying to strike right now. How much would you buy into that, John? Well, I think each team has its own identity. And, and this past Georgia team that just won a national championship, 
it has walked out the door. It will be a totally new team that comes back. And, you know, one of the defining characteristics of the national championship team was an elite defense with the exception of one game, that being the SEC championship, we saw game in game out, just a suppressive uh, defensive effort from uh, one of the best units that ever fielded uh, or took the field in college sports. So, that was a defining characteristic. It's going to be much different in this in this upcoming season. And what I find to be very optimistic and possibly a real highlight for this for this next team is there is so much potential for this offense to perform outperform uh, this past year national championship unit. So I think in general that the ceiling is much higher. Uh, coming into this 22 season than it was for the 21 season offensively. And it probably needs to be. You're not going to have the same um, defensive, you know, just elitism that we experienced this past year. Do I think that the run game could improve vastly? Yes. And it's not because I, I didn't think, I thought James Cook was arguably one of the best running backs in college football this past year just the the skill set that he possessed and the way that he was deployed uh under the monk and offense and and zamir cook and his or excuse me zamir white in his own right uh again one of the better top 10 running backs in college football so a great tandem but the way the offense performs i think can be much more balanced i think you have an offensive line unit that whose ceiling is higher than what you had this past year and the complementary pieces, and complementary I'm using uh, loosely because you're, you're talking about a tight end room that might be historic if you look at Brock Bowers and uh, Gilbert and, and Darnell Washington. So between those three, and we haven't even talked about the wide receivers, just the, the opportunity that this offense has is much greater, in my mind, of, of what they're capable of uh, than the national championship winning offense that Georgia took on took to the field this past year. Yeah, John, I think you're absolutely right about that. And for me, so much of this is about what can also happen to the offensive line there too. And you know, I'm of the belief that listen, if I had my wish, you know, I think the best five for Georgia, you know, it needs to look like Broderick Jones at left tackle. This needs to be his time. Obviously, the the two pillars that you kind of know are there: SVP in the middle and and McClendon on the right side, but then you need Tate Rattledge back from injury. You know, you need Amarius Mims, even though his natural position is probably tackle, the position that may be available is guard. If, if, that, if, if that is truly the five that emerged for Georgia, the proven guys in Van Praan and, and McClendon, the, the now is the time, Broderick Jones, and then a healthier Tate Rattledge, and finally getting to see a whole lot more of Amarius Mims. If that's what ends up being this five for Georgia – you know, that to me is how you get there, John. No doubt that Georgia rushed the ball better in 2017 than it did in 2016. Kirby's comparison between those first two years because the offensive line got way better in year two for Kirby Smart. And I think the level of talent, if that talent truly emerges, I don't know, it gives Georgia, I think, a chance to have something similar happen this upcoming season where you just have the most, uh, ma- you know, sort of maximized version of, of what your offensive line could be. That's my hope, anyway. Th- that it's that five that emerges, and they create all those uh, opportunities that you just described. Yeah, and and that leaves off that list 
proven commodities, or at least more proven commodities, and Erickson, who's had a number of starts under his belt, he would be coming off the bench and a rotational player, which is, you know, you, you look across the, the SEC and really across the nation because that's where Georgia holds themselves. Uh, and and with Erickson and Xavier Trust, who had a number of snaps this past year, in conjunction with younger players that are also, uh, you know, a high four- and five-star guys came in with uh, a number of accolades and, and the potential and ceiling is really high for them. Micah Morris is a guy that comes to mind. They, they haven't even – you haven't even listed them yet. So yeah. I think it's, it, again, for Georgia, and this goes back to recruiting, as Stacey Searles comes to town, he's going to be looking in this room and going, man, we've got a lot of really good players. My job is to find uh, the best chemistry across five guys. And, you know, I, I think it's a fair assessment that Amarius Mims is most likely a more natural tackle than he is a guard, but – uh, with McClendon having pretty much locked in on that right side and Robert Jones laid his claim, especially late in the season at that left tackle spot, you're looking for how do we get the best five out on the field and how do they complement each other and, and play as a unit really, really well. And what a great problem for him to have because you've got players that, at least on paper and, and, and more than that, that, in times this past season when their num- name and numbers were called, they performed at a high level. And now it's only, you know, how can we push each other to, to really maximize that? I think Georgia's going to need to lean in more than they did this past year. And, and fortunately, they've got the talent, and it appears to be they're developing in, in this process uh, to be at a point where, they should be able to do that. I think this offensive line should become a real strength. You talk about the – what is it? It's not the – it's Joe Moore Ward. Is that what That's the it. collegiate one is? That's that, it, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I heard that same quote. I heard, heard you mention it earlier in this broadcast. I think that's realistic. I think this group has that level of talent where, you know, preseason for what it's worth, they should be in that discussion. And um, it's – you know, there's a lot of work left to do. As a matter of fact, all the work is left to do, but the ceiling is high enough for this group where it's realistic for that to be uh, an authentic and, and realistic goal for them to set for them to be the best offensive line unit in the country. Yeah, the Joe Moore Award is a cool award because it's a cool trophy. It's about as big as a duplex. It's got like five offensive linemen like you know stretched across the trophy platform. So it's almost so big it takes two people to hold it. It's like you know five guys in various poses or whatever. So that's what I like about the Joe Moore Award. It is certainly a a very as, as important as offensive line is. If you're going to award the best offensive line, you have to have a very big trophy to do it. John, this is a very big trophy it's about three or four hundred square feet worth of trophy i believe when it's all said and done yeah and i i was i was stumbling because um in 2010 the new orleans saints offensive line we won an award i thought that was the joe moore award for okay. best offensive line in, in, in the nfl so 
I, I might have got my names mixed up no as uh, to which went where. So appreciate there's, you providing some clarity there. There's no shortage of football awards. Certainly, that's the uh, case. Maybe one of these days we'll get. <laughs> maybe one of these days we'll get an award. And we'll start giving one of these out. Let me do one more thing before we let you go. So the photo came out this weekend of Stacey Serrells and the Georgia offensive lineman, most of them anyway, having a little meal together, kind of hanging out together. And we see this kind of thing from time to time, especially like a lot of times in the summer when some of the, the you know, late arriving freshmen kind of get here. You see more of that kind of stuff coming out. But when it comes to new position coach, players who've been here, that fellowship right now, how important is, is all of that? And how, 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 how needed are those kind of off-field bonding moments for these players to find out, yeah, we can trust this guy, we can buy into what he wants to do for us, he does have our best interest in mind. When you see these photos coming up of these like meals and these get-togethers, how important is all of that in the process of Serrells as a coach making these players the best they can be? I think it moves good teams to great and great teams to elite. Anytime you have that bond and you have the trust that comes with it, you can build the accountability piece um, into these opportunities. And you you want to be able to work. You want to be able to push each other. Uh, but at the end of the day, you want more. And when, anytime you're trying to create synergy, it comes with relationship. And for any group, especially the offensive line group, when you're able to build trust and you can – be in those heated moments in the fire late in a game and you still know the guy next to you has your back and um, he can push you and you can push him right back and, and try to get the very best even when the going is tough that those moments are created because of relationship it's got to be more than just uh, a professional business relationship for every great team that I was on for every great group that I was fortunate enough to be a part of it comes because uh there is a love and appreciation and respect that that far exceeds just the norm just the the bare minimum and these are great opportunities to start forging those it's these are new relationships and anytime you have new faces which in college football you constantly do whether it's players or coaches um when, when you combine the work opportunities that are provided in practice with some of the off the field experiences and opportunities that you get, um, I think that's where you're really starting to press in and push and move that needle from um, what individual players are capable of, what individual coaches are capable of. You create those opportunities for synergy for the the whole to be much better than the parts. John, it is always great to have this discussion with you. Uh, appreciate your insight into all of this. G-Day's getting closer. Can't wait to see some of this action there on the field there at that time. Just appreciate you being here on uh, our program here today and hope you have a great week. We'll look forward to getting a chance to speak to you soon. Likewise. Go dogs. Yes, sir. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So let me say something really quickly about something that John brought up. And, you know, on a show like this, I give my opinions, just kind of, you know, bloviate them out. And some of them turn out to be correct. Some of them turn out not to be correct. But, you know, each and every day, it's about just kind of the sense that I have about, you know, what needs to happen with Georgia, what is happening around college football in the SEC. And, like, when I told John, you know, hey, as a fan, my wish for the best five, obviously, you know, McClendon and Van Pron are a big part of that. Uh, you assume that Broderick Jones' time is now based on what happened in the national championship game, and that leads you what you believe are probably your two guard spots. And I said, hey, 
My wish is Tate Rattlinch is back healthy, and he's one of those guys, and Amarius Mims, while he's probably a tackle, that maybe he emerges one of the guard spots there as well. And if that is your best five, based on what I think of as the measurable talent, that's like the best version, I believe, of the Georgia offensive line. But as John pointed out, listen, if I'm saying that, and there's a chance maybe what I'm saying is correct, but if I'm saying that, I am not giving a ton of credence to guys that we have seen play before and guys have been in this system before. And so I I at least want to provide myself this slight caveat of there's very much a chance that Warren Erickson makes me look foolish for having said what I said, or there's very much a chance that Xavier Trust makes me look foolish for having said what I said, or maybe some other offensive lineman that I'm not even really considering as of yet. John mentioned Michael Morris by name. So there's a chance that maybe some of the other offensive linemen, especially more veteran guys like Truss and Erickson, they could make me look foolish forever wishing that the offensive line was was less proven, less tested than what they might be able to provide. But I can't help but feel the way that I feel. That, that you know, I do want to see Mims. And I, I do believe that Ratledge, whatever was going on last spring, was really indicating that that he was ready to be that guy had he not gotten hurt. Who knows how good of a season he could have had, and who knows how good the Georgia offensive line could have been a year ago because of that. So those are my feelings, but admittedly, I'm more than happy to acknowledge the guy like Erickson and the guy like Trust could eventually make me eat my words because of what they might be capable of doing in the new Stacey Sarrell's offensive line here. So that's that. Obviously, G-Day coming up. Then after that, we're hitting the high seas with our friends at Royal Caribbean, and uh, we're going to be on Independence of the Seas coming up in April. What a great chance to do this sailing out of Port Canaveral on April 25th. And for me, you know, there's nothing that kills the fun sometimes more than an airport. And so I love the fact that if you live in the Atlanta area, you don't have to fly to get to Port Canaveral. You can just easy drive basically, you know, right past Orlando. You drive to Orlando, you're essentially almost at Port Canaveral. It's a super easy drive from the Atlanta area where I live. And so you get there, you get on uh, Independence of the Seas. We're sailing to Nassau in the Bahamas. It's a wonderful port. Uh, I was just there back in February, did a really fun uh, snorkeling experience. You got the beautiful beaches of Paradise Island, all that area around uh, Nassau. You can do just the regular shopping stuff and enjoy some of the cool, you know, local cuisine and, you know, bars and stuff right there in Nassau. That's always a really fun thing to do. But right there in the Bahamas there as well, there's also Perfect Day Coco Cay, which is the private island, private destination there for the uh, folks at Royal Caribbean. And you've heard me talk about this before, the thrill side, the chill side, you know, tallest water slide in North America. There's an entire like water park in the Bahamas, which is kind of an amazing thing. Largest freshwater pool in the Bahamas. Great, great experience. Cool getaway that is. So many fun things to do at Perfect Day, Coco Cay. That's a huge part. It's probably, you know, when people think about Royal Caribbean right now, that's one of the first things that kind of comes to mind is how can I get to Perfect Day, Coco Cay? Because people have heard, you know, people like me talk about it and brag on it. They want to experience this for themselves. So please make sure you check that out if you haven't. Be on board with us on Independence of the Seas for the very first ever cruise of the Dog Nation. So you can go to dognationcruise.com, find out more about this, or just click the link at the top of the page at dognation.com. You can be on board with us. But it's we're running out of time to get you set up and get ready to go. So let's get you locked in, get you ready on all of that. Uh, it is coming up before you know it, the very first ever cruise with Dog Nation. Can't wait for that. And, you know, if you can't be on this cruise – as you get ready for warm weather season spring and summer and all that kind of stuff check out all the really fun things that royal caribbean has going on because man it's a great time to be on board a royal caribbean cruise ship i can tell you that myself because i was just on one and i really had a great time all right cruising around the sec here courtesy of royal caribbean missouri had its spring game on saturday and a very interesting figure was on hand now, mike griffith had reported dognation.com that's going to be the case and photographic evidence proves that was true jt daniels dressed in 
what I think is gold and black here, the Missouri colors, or maybe it's just a book bag. With the, I think what this is, I guess he's just wearing black, but he's got the lanyard attached to the backpack so that it almost looks like he's wearing gold and black, but maybe he's just kind of wearing regular black. Probably doesn't matter either way. But you see Eli Drinkwitz and Jake T. Daniel standing there side by uh, side, hanging out and enjoying themselves. And there is an aspect of this story that I think is really weird that Daniels is probably either going to West Virginia or Missouri or Oregon State. That's the sense that you get. We know that he recently visited Oregon State, and uh, I guess you know West Virginia seems to linger here, was just at Missouri. The photograph uh, proves that to be true. And yet, it's almost... I, like, I'm surprised at like how almost how, like, like not big a story this is, if that makes sense. And, and part of this is due to the fact that Missouri just does not have the robust message board culture that a lot of other SEC programs kind of have. Like, it's sort of hard to know where Missouri fans are even congregating online. But it's not like JT Daniels having been at Missouri was even all that big of a deal on the internet this weekend. The photo was there. We talked about it in the show. But it's not... I mean, the sense that I get from trying to figure out what Missouri fans are even thinking on this is, I get the sense they would like for Daniels to come to Missouri. I get the sense they think that Eli Drinkwitz doesn't necessarily want to run off the two quarterbacks they currently have, the ones that competed against each other in the spring game, and some of the stuff that Drinkwitz has said, we kind of lead you to believe that's true. They're almost more interested in hiring their basketball coach right now than they are in in this transfer quarterback like one of the things that I think is different from at least what I've seen from the way that Missouri fans are talking about Daniels when Georgia fans talked about Daniels for the most part Georgia fans only evaluated what JT did in a Georgia uniform the feeling being that the talent level at Georgia now is so different from what the talent level was in Daniels freshman season at USC in 2018 just the programs are so different that whatever Daniels did as a freshman was irrelevant to most Georgia fans whereas some of the sense that I get uh, from some some of the Missouri fans I've seen online is is they're looking at the totality of Daniel's career in terms of evaluating what he brings to the table. That I think that for a lot of folks, kind of outside the bubble of Dog Nation, that that Daniel's is a little bit of a mysterious figure because you know didn't have great numbers at Missouri uh, at USC, ended up getting hurt, came here, lost the starting job. That's confusing to a lot of people. Um, you know, lingered injury when he first got to UGA. As I said before, the the sense that I get is the Missouri fans that are online and talking about this kind of want him to come, but it's not like it's just like the biggest story in the state of Missouri right now either. It's, it's a very strange reaction to the JT Daniels thing. Maybe that speaks to Missouri just being a little bit of an out, out, kind of an outlier when it comes to typical SEC culture. Not the only quarterback on the move, though, right now is JT Daniels. Emory Jones from Florida also announced that he is going into the transfer portal. He put that out online here over the course of the weekend. Nice uh, uh, statement, cool graphic to go along with that. He says, all love to Gator Nation. I got two things to say about this. I think when we do the autopsy of Dan Mullen's career at Florida, now we say this here, but I'm really surprised in terms of what went wrong for Mullen at Florida. It doesn't come up more how much Mullen really put a lot of the eggs in his first recruiting class in Emory Jones' basket, really at the expense of Matt Corral. I mean, you certainly get the impression of that Dan Mullen could have had Matt Corral as his quarterback and kind of chose Emory Jones over him. At least that's the sense that I got from all of that. 
So in speaking about what was and wasn't for Mullen at Florida, the level of faith that Mullen put in Emory Jones is always going to be kind of like the original, I don't want to say the original sin, but like the sort of original error there. That was the thing that set up a lot of the things that happened after that is I think that Mullen just overrated what Emory Jones was going to be. And from the very first spring, you know, Jones kind of struggled there a little bit and never really seemed to show the promise of, I mean, at one point in time in Jones' recruitment, he had Alabama and Ohio State, and I guess to a certain degree Georgia, but certainly like Alabama and Ohio State were very prominent in his recruitment. And that's just never the player that he kind of became at Florida. But Mullen put a lot of faith in him and probably at the expense of the recruitment of Matt Corral. And then retrospect, that just seems like a huge mistake. So on the flip side of that, now that he's gone, this is where I will admit that when guys like this transfer this quickly into a spring, I would say that oftentimes is a good thing for the school with the player leaves because this is clearly, at least if you make the assumption, this is clearly an assessment of, oh boy, you know, Jack Miller transfers in or, you know, Anthony Richardson's been there. You look around and say, oh boy, this is, uh, you know, this is not a good spot for me. I'm not fitting in well right now. And the assumption I'm going to make is that's usually happening because somebody or two somebodies may be playing really well that Emory Jones looks around and maybe you know feels the pressure to leave because of what he sees happening somewhere else. Because the arrival of Billy Napier as a new head coach is a chance to reboot, chance to to do things you know a little bit differently for Emory Jones, give himself another spot, another another shot at all this. And if this quickly Jones realizes that his best home is somewhere else, then that might speak to the 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 reemergence of Anthony Richardson or whether it be Jack Miller, or, you know whatever else. But one way or another, when a quarterback leaves this quickly, I usually assume it's because somebody else might be doing well. And I don't know what that means for the Gators overall. This is still a team that I think is going to have a hard time having a winning record here in 2022. But that just kind of one of the thoughts I have uh, upon Emory Jones leaving. I'll also say this here uh, just for a little bit. Watched a good bit of basketball over the weekend and. Uh, obviously I think it's funny that Auburn's already gone from the NCAA tournament you know after all that was said about them by their own fans all year long I guess <laughs> wasn't much of a march for the Auburn Tigers and really not much of an S- a, a march for the SEC here at least when it comes to the NCAA tournament Arkansas being the only team that was left and I don't know like at one point in time it seemed like Mike White had a pretty big stiff challenge awaiting him at UGA to make Georgia relevant in the SEC but given how Kentucky goes out quick Auburn gets bounced quick uh Tennessee gets bounced quick all of a sudden maybe rising to relevance in the SEC for Mike White maybe that's not going to be quite so uh quite as difficult as maybe it first appeared uh, just given how poorly the SEC performed in the NCAA tournament obviously with Arkansas having a chance to carry the banner for the league moving in to the second weekend the other thing I'll say and I'll just kind of make this kind of quick two other quick points so I was watching a lot of the Baylor North Carolina game on Saturday. It's very interesting. I was with my son. We're sitting on the couch, and you know UNC had the big lead. Baylor came storming back. Uh, UNC ends up holding on, getting the win, and we were having a great time, man. It was so much fun to watch this. Uh, you know, to me, this was kind of one of those sort of classic March type things where the number one seed's going down, but they're trying to fight to keep that from happening. And we were having a blast. It was a lot of fun. And then I sort of get back on Twitter after the game is done, and. You know, I saw a lot of negativity about the game. And listen, I, I I don't disagree with any of it. The officiating was pretty shaky. Uh, obviously, there were some very questionable decisions uh, in game. And some of the just the overall performance stuff late in game was probably leaving something to be desired. Maybe not the most perfectly played game. But my overall feeling from having watched the game not been on social media was really positive. It was just fun. It was entertaining. I didn't really think much more deeply about it than that. And yet, you know, the, the, the Twitter conversation about it was really, really negative. And... 
I'm not really, really sure what this means, but in my life, I think I want a lot more of like the non-social media interaction connection to some of these games because I don't know. Like, I'd rather be blissfully ignorant and enjoy myself as opposed to acutely aware and miserable. <laughs> and I, it seems like the the social media part of that seems to kind of draw you the other direction there a little bit. And I don't know. I, I'm not even really sure what I'm trying to say. I just could not believe how different my feeling was having watched the game not connected to social media to go back later on and kind of scroll the feed and see how negative Twitter was about the game while it was happening. Um, so I just thought that was something. One more thing, and then I'll move off. So um, on Saturday, I said before, I was watching a decent amount of tournament, but also trying to watch the Diamond Dogs on TV there too. Now, it was SEC Network Plus on Saturday, which means you have to click onto the stream to be able to watch it. And, you know, we have a lot more streaming of sports coming up in our future. And I always feel like I'm a boomer when, when I you know say something like, like this. But, you know, doing this on Saturday where you want to watch the, like, the tournament on regular TV and the baseball on the stream – there is no denying to me that the streamed sport is the inferior product. You can't rewind the way you can with a DVR, at least, you know, on my device, I, I couldn't easily rewind. You know, TV gives you a chance to do that. It's very hard to, like, flip channels back and forth because if you want to leave the baseball game and go to the basketball, you have to, like, exit out of the stream, which means when you go back in, you have to do, like, the spinning wheel thing and let it load all over again. I, it's just one of those things where – Somehow in the future, you get the sense we're going to be watching a lot more sport on stream as opposed to regular television. But having kind of toggled back and forth with the two on Saturday, you know, for me, there's no doubt that this is the superior experience for right now. I would say is still the overall television experience. Um, but you get the impression in the future there may be less TV, more streaming. But having done a little bit of both of that on saturday kind of interesting to see by the way congratulations to the diamond dogs for winning two of three against mississippi state the defending national champs over the weekend not as fortunate uh gym dogs in the sec tournament lady dogs had their ncaa tournament run come to an end uh but a very busy weekend for spring sports there around uga and of course a lot of you enjoying a lot of fun stuff this weekend enjoying stuff on the weekend for many of you now means the finished long drink so make sure you check that out if you haven't tried that yet, go to thelongdrink.com. That's thelongdrink.com. Put in your zip code, and you can find out what so many of the folks in our audience have already discovered, that it tastes great. It's just kind of fun to have with you wherever you're doing fun stuff on the weekend, during the week, whatever else. Four different varieties. Get the traditional. comes in a blue can. It looks like a beer, but it's not. It's a ready-to-drink cocktail. It's like a mixed drink that's already mixed for you. Just pop the top and enjoy it. Grapefruit flavor, gin kick, or get the long drink cranberry, long drink strong, Eight and a half percent alcohol by volume, long drink zero, zero carbs, zero sugar. Just enjoy all of that. Whether you're at a golf course or a bar, a beverage store, a restaurant, whatever else, go to thelongdrink.com. This comes from Finland, 1950. It's been in America now for the last couple of years, and it's in Georgia. Pretty much wherever you are, you can find some now. So check out thelongdrink.com for a lot more on that. So speaking of the lousy, stinking Gators for a moment, we talked about Mike White traveling over to UGA as the new basketball coach. Florida fans were kind of laughing about the Mike White hire when it first happened. Get the impression there may be less laughter going on now. I'm going to show you this from our buddy Jermaine King, who shared with this with me. We'll make Jermaine the golden shoe winner for today. So uh, at least one Florida fan is mad uh, about the – it's not. It's a lot more than one, but Jermaine shares just the one. He says, I don't think Gator fans are too happy with the new basketball coaching iron. It's Todd Golden. Golden is the former coach at San Francisco, the Dons, with the NCAA tournament, kind of a – one of the darling sort of uh, mid-major type teams lost in round one 
to Murray State, and some Florida fans not happy with Scott Strickland. That's their athletic director for the hire of Todd Golden. So in comparison to a kind of a proven commodity, Mike White, the sort of very young, unproven mid-major coach from San Francisco, maybe Georgia fans get the last laugh when it's all said and done. Kind of interesting stuff. By the way, speaking of lousy, stinking Gators, long national title drought for Florida, 4,820 days. And our Gator hater countdown, 222 days from right now, dogs getting another win over over those Gators there in Jacksonville. We will see you tomorrow. It's Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Window and Door. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews Podcast Cooldown. We'll take your comments here, rsandrews.com. Of course, the one turn to for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric needs. Talking a little basketball here. Uh, Herschel uh, reached out on Twitter to say that uh, I have to admit, if you told me one SEC school would be left standing in the Sweet 16, I uh, would not have put my money on Arkansas. I actually kind of liked Arkansas during the season. Now, being the last SEC team standing, I'm not quite sure I would have said that, but I kind of like what the Hogs did during the year. Um, so, certainly happy to see them, you know, still playing here. But the quick exit for Kentucky, Tennessee, and Auburn after all that had gone on between those three teams during the season, and there's a lot of enthusiasm or thing around those fan bases this year, and a little bit kind of a healthy rivalry with each other in terms of you know who would be the last to keep playing, and lo and behold, they all you know go out pretty quick. And I kind of jokingly said this during the show, but I guess I mean this half seriously, is that it does speak to the opportunity that Mike White has at Georgia to step in and do something. And in comparison to, I mean, you know, like what the guy did at San Francisco this year was pretty impressive that was one of the better mid-major teams in the country and there's a school of thought out there that like some especially gamblers have which is that when you have sweet 16 worthy mid-major teams the committee obviously doesn't like that the NCAA would prefer to have bigger teams in the sweet 16 they want the money going to the right places in other words because the bigger programs just bring more eyeballs to tv and so one of the things that has long been a thing in the gambling community is the notion of Sweet 16 caliber mid-major teams are often pitted against each other. You can get rid of one of them that way, and then in the second round they'll face some big team, and the thought is, well, maybe the big team will also beat them there too, and you can get rid of both of them. That way you don't have to worry about the you know, the the very good mid-major team making a run. You can stack the bracket so that's less likely to happen, and that's what some people thought San Francisco and Murray State was, a chance to eliminate one, and the winner of that game was supposed to play Kentucky, Um and that could have potentially eliminated the other. Of course, Kentucky lost the first round, uh, and then St. Peter's ended up beating Murray State too. So oftentimes these things don't work out exactly the way that you think they're going to. But San Francisco had obviously had a really good year this year and earned a lot of respect in doing so. But this is a young coach. I don't think he's ever had a tournament win before. I guess he's a little bit of an analytics-minded guy. I mean, I have to say, and I know that maybe this makes me seem you know, more pro-George or whatever, but you, know, you give me the choice of Mike White, who has been in a bunch of tournament games, um or a guy like you know was it Todd Golden is that his name who you know much less experienced much younger you know I hard for me to come away thinking anything other than maybe Georgia looks like it's got the better coach right now so I think that White steps into a real opportunity there with UGA basketball of course on the football side of things Georgia had its first padded practice on Saturday uh, a lot of folks paid attention to the video that came out, kind of showed Dylan Green a little bit. And, you know, more of these whispers and, hey, who's doing well? How are guys emerging? 
that's more of what we're going to be listening for over the course of the next couple of days as we get ready for G-Day coming up on uh, April 16th. So we'll keep our eyes on all of that. Thank you for being here for our podcast, School Down Today. Big thanks to R.S. Andrews for making it all possible. The one you turn to, air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric. Uh, get that AC unit tuned up. Time to be thinking about that. Spring, warm weather on the way. So rsandrews.com for a lot more details on that. Hope you all have a great day. We'll look forward to seeing you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily presented by Palo Window and Door of Georgia. We'll look forward to talking to you then.